It looks like YouTube is up to its old antics. We didn't get another strike, but they did go through our archives and I got notification that they removed yet another video earlier today. So if you want to make sure you continue to hear from us, I encourage you to sign up for our email list, which you can find at dougcasey.substack.com. In today's episode, we talk about the Israeli-Gaza affair, specifically more interesting news around what happened on 10-7. In addition, we talk about the general demoralization campaign that uh, Yuri Bezmenov warned about, Flat Earth, and much more. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Good morning, Doug. You have some interesting news from the Encyclopedia Britannica to share with us, I hear. Well, the Encyclopedia Britannica helps me uh, stick my head above my silo to see what's going on out in the real world, at least as these people see it. So um, I was somewhat disappointed that uh, they didn't report on anything happening with um, celebrities today. Oh. Important births or deaths or with celebrities. So, but apparently in world history, not too much has happened generally on today, uh, the 15th of November. But I'll tell you what seems to have happened. Uh, first of all, uh, Palestine was declared a state by Yasser Arafat on this day in 1988. And of course, since we currently have a dust-up going on in Israel or Palestine, whichever you want to call it at this point, um, uh, so Arafat declares that Palestine is a state in 88. It's analogous to Israel having been declared a state in 1948. I mean, you get a bunch of people together and if you have some guns, you call it a state. I mean, that's what the Israelis did, basically. And uh, that's really just what they did. I mean, uh, and that's what Arafat tried to do, but it worked for the Israelis. It didn't work for Arafat. And um, so this is, Palestine has been a non-state since 1988, for what it's worth. How we, how, we, how we can tie that into the current Hamas-Israel war, but... Yeah, I mean, to become a state, what, what has to actually happen beyond, you know, having the guns and declaring it? Is, it? is it UN recognition that makes it official? Is that what it has to have? Or, I mean, how does it, how does it work? I think it's a recognition of other states is mm -hmm. what has to happen. And uh, when Israel was declared a state... Don't know who was the first to recognize them. Was it the U.S.? Let me see. Sure. I'm, Britain was early on because the uh, legal basis for it being for Israel being declared a state was the Balfour Agreement from twenties, I think, or I think the twenties or the thirties, where um, the British, uh, who had the mandate over that part of the Turkish Empire. Ottoman Empire at that time, uh, said, yes, uh, the Jews should have their own state. And I think that's where it started, and that's the legal justification for it. And maybe, maybe Arafat declared that Palestine was a state when um, he, he won a Nobel Peace Prize with 
Ehud Barak and, and, and some other Israeli uh, big shot. And then Clinton had them shaking hands together in the Rose Garden. All these things. It's a jumbled mess. And to be honest, I don't keep the, uh, the time sequence and who shot John, as it were, straight. Because this is all going to end very badly. Mm. No matter what these people do at this point, it's going it, to, it's just going to end badly. Even if the current thing in, in, in uh, Gaza goes away after a while, it's going to come back. I don't know how it can not. It looks like the Soviet Union was the first to recognize Israel on May 17th, 1948, followed by Nicaragua, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and Poland. The United States extended de jure recognition uh, after the first Israeli election on January 31st, 1949. Uh-huh. Okay, then everybody else recognized it. I don't know if anybody recognizes Palestine as a state. I mean, the, the other Arab or Muslim nations must recognize Palestine as a state since it was declared as a state on that, on that, on that date in 1988, the state in 1988. Yeah, it says, I'm just... Searching, it says, it, officially, the state of Palestine is a partially recognized sovereign state. Um, it was founded in 1988, as you suggested. And let's see. As of April 22nd, or as April 2022, 139 UN member states have recognized Palestine as a state. Oh, isn't that interesting? But it's a state that isn't really like a real state. It's not a member of the United Nations. It doesn't have an official army, although maybe Hamas or Hezbollah are two kind of semi-official armies. Yeah. But I mean, can they issue passports, you know, that are recognized for travel? It sounds like they can't. I don't know. Maybe within those 139 recognized states, I've never seen a Palestinian passport, but... uh you know, this whole thing with Israel and Gaza, uh, yes, I guess uh, elements of Hezbollah are, you know, sending rockets out and firing rounds into Israel on the Lebanese and Jordanian borders. Okay, that happens all the time or sporadically. And of course, uh, the Hamas people in Gaza launched an attack. Uh, and incidentally, we were talking the other day about all of the um, hundreds of vehicles that looked like they'd been firebombed, basically. Yeah. I happen to subscribe to both uh, Haaretz and Times, and I don't read them thoroughly. I read the headlines, and there was never in either of those two major Israeli publications any acknowledgement of, of these hundreds of vehicles that were destroyed. And why they were destroyed, because if they were destroyed, who the hell knows what the facts are, because uh, small arms fire isn't going to create the kind of chaos that those other pictures showed. So why aren't these major Israeli publications having a discussion about what happened to all the cars that the people that went to that rock festival drove there? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I. Yeah, there's a, there's 
the other interesting thing I saw recently about uh, Israel is that Netanyahu suggested that uh, that it was like that what happened on on October seventh was a like an internal security thing lapse that they allowed to happen in order to undermine him. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. But of course, he's in a lot of domestic trouble anyway. So who knows? I'll, I'll tell you something else. It's that whenever you look reporting on what happened on the 7th uh, in Israel, they talk about, and I'm talking about these two publications. One says, at least 1,200 Israelis were killed. And the other one says, at least 1,400. So which is it, 12 or 1,400? And I thought that the Israelis would have a pretty good idea of how many people died. I mean, where are the bodies? I mean, the Israelis, pretty precise people, they would count the bodies. But when, when uh, Gaza uh, casualties, they're down to the last person killed, but it's 1,200 or 1,400 day after day in these two publications. I'd like to know which it is. Who's, who's doing the counting? This is crazy. That's a good question, Doug. I don't know. It does seem fishy to me, but. It's all, it, it's all fishy. And Israel isn't under attack. It will be under attack. I mean, we could have a, a nuclear war when, if not Pakistan, if not Iran, who has nuclear weapons, I understand. Who knows? But people that know about these things say that they do. And of course, any, any Arab or Muslim state can get nuclear weapons. I mean, for Christ's sake, if the North Koreans can get them, I mean, anybody can get them, frankly. So it's going to end badly that way. But right now, Israel, this is a world crisis. Obviously, a world crisis. But Israel's not under attack. They, were, they had a really bad day on the 7th with 1,200 or 1,400 people killed, whichever the exact number is. <laughs> but some, was, some maybe by uh, friendly fire. Very likely. I'm, but who knows? And but, uh, this is a world event where Israel's not actually under attack. And if they are, it's by informal groups that don't have tanks or real ballistic missiles. They got crappy little rockets. Anyway. It's going to escalate, though, to, people, to people who are using real ballistic missiles and, yeah. you know, hey, they're going. Well, eventually what's going to happen is that the Israelis want to get out of Dodge. You're going to go to either the U.S. or the Ukraine because they're going to be overwhelmed, or maybe the Palestinians will all be shipped off to the U.S. They won't be shipped off to the Ukraine, though, or Egypt. Who knows? Incidentally, this is, uh, uh, people have forgotten about Yasser Arafat, but um, turns out that Yasser Arafat was born in Cairo, wasn't born in Palestine, and he died in France, although his parents were both Palestinians. So I guess... Yasser Arafat was kind of a professional Palestinian, although he didn't spend all that much time. Well, it's like the, the leader of Hamas who's holed up in a Four Seasons in Qatar. 
Yeah, well, if you can run a big organization that gets hundreds of millions of aid, I mean, why should he be staying in a motel sense? Yeah, but that's, it, for those, he, that's for those poor people in Gaza that get to live in burned out buildings. <laughs> it's, right. it's really funny. But if we're so serious about getting him, we've got, I don't know how many troops in Qatar right now. You would think that if we if we really, if that was the guy, if you really want to go after the people that are responsible, then why wouldn't you go after him? You know where he is. Yes. And I got another report from what I considered a reliable source the other day that said that the uh, Israeli Secret Service and other organizations that do that type of thing for Israel uh, know absolutely everybody who's a member of Hamas. I mean, they got their cell phone numbers and, you know, their 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 home address and all that type of thing. So, uh, you know, I mean, if these guys are bad guys, and I think they are bad guys, basically, uh, well, you want to treat them as criminals because you know who they are exactly. Apparently, the Israelis do. But why are they blowing the shit out of, you know, these further proof that we live in a simulation? The, the real world couldn't be this crazy. But we can talk about that. Sure. Oh, anyway, the second thing that I got out of the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica was Margaret Mead, who I don't think a lot of people know who she is today, but she was a famous anthropologist who died in um, 1970. And uh, she's famous. Every When I was in high school and college, everybody was reading this damn book. I didn't read it. Uh, and it turns out it was just as well I didn't waste my time. It was called Coming of Age in Samoa. She wrote a number of books. And so anyway, based on her studies of Samoan people and people in Papua New Guinea, she, I think, jumped to all kinds of ridiculous conclusions. I, at one point in my life, I thought this was after I wanted to be an archaeologist. And my idea of being an archaeologist was being a tomb raider, you know. Yeah, of course. Golden run. You know, and that, that playing around with stuff with the toothbrush for, you know, months on end. But then I thought, oh, it'd be fun to be an anthropologist because they get to go to all these primitive places and, you know, exotic people, uh, jungle and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, since I've, I've come to the conclusion that anybody who is an anthropologist, which is a soft science, it's like sociology or political science or... It's that kind of a science. It's kind of a semi, semi-real, semi-hard science. So Margaret Mead, very famous, was a kind of a notorious leftist. She had all the appropriate opinions on child rearing and sexual behavior and race relations and drug abuse and population control and um Oh, God, the rest of these things, pollution and world hunger, the whole panoply of things. So anyway, she died back then, and I guess she's basically forgotten, except in leftist circles where she's still kind of a, a goddess or an icon or whatever. Anyway, that's what happens. That's when she kicked the bucket. Hmm. What it's worth. 1978. Okay. This day. Anyway, I mean, that's kind of obscure. It's not... This is not even like a, you know, a 50th anniversary, exactly. I mean, it's just, 
Well, I picked Margaret Mead today. Will they pick her again next year on November 15th? I don't know. Anyway, blast from the past. I'm sure some people listening to it have heard of her. Um, she was quite a, what do you call that? A public persona or a, you know, media commentator or influencer in those days. Hmm. And then the last thing that I picked out from the encyclopedia was uh, on this day in um, 1630, Johannes Kepler died. And, uh, okay, so Kepler was in the same grouping with um, Tycho Brahe and uh, Galileo and Copernicus. They're all in the same era, all doing things in astronomy and the planets. Okay, that's great. Okay. Now, the reason I picked that out uh, of the other things that happened today on uh, News Psychopedia is because this morning, of all things, uh, my wife was listening to an interview with Roseanne Barr. And I'm a fan of Roseanne Barr because she's, she's very funny. She's rather uh, crass and coarse and mouthy, but she's funny. And her values are generally... I think no. on the right side of the barricades. So anyway, here's the thing. She's on this interview with some guy I'd never heard of before who's got a podcast. Okay, so there's Roseanne. And somehow or other, uh, they start talking about flat earth theory. Well, this is kind of interesting because I've heard of flat earth theory. Most people probably have, but I was always under the impression that yeah, they were like, Five or ten loudmouth people in the world were promoting it. Nobody really believed it. I mean, seriously. But the interviewer, the guy who was interviewing Roseanne, got off and was explaining it to Roseanne how flat Earth theory works. And it was fascinating. And it turns out that the world is surrounded by, um, and this is real. This guy is, is, is not stupid. I mean, he talks coherently. We're surrounded by a 200-foot wall of ice, and there's a lake that we're in the middle of. And, um, oh, God, what are some of the other things? And then Rosanna swoop. well, how do you know that? And he says things like, well, I mean, he, and he's got some facts, correct? Hmm. He mentioned the world has a 25,000-mile circumference. Well, that's interesting. That's a scientifically verified fact. Yeah, so he mentions that, and he says, well, you know, when you're walking, you should constantly be going down. Because if you look at a ball and you're walking on it, it's kind of going down all the time. So he mentions that as proof. And then hmm. he says... It was it was bizarre. I can't replicate. I mean, maybe you know some of these arguments that they make, but I've heard them. I've heard them. Uh, yeah, there's something about I can't remember exactly what they say the distance should be uh, given that circumference. It's something like you know six inches per mile. Is that what he that it should be? I think it's. I think it's yeah, something like that. Six or eight per mile, and so 
you should be able to observe the curve at certain at a certain point. And so they, they you know, they, and you know, even you know, when you look at the launches into space, even those, except for, I mean, when they're show, I mean, there was a guy who remember the the guy who did the jump from the balloon at like eighty thousand feet, this uh, Red Bull. Yes. Yeah. Even from his view, he it was flat. Like there was no curvature in that. So as high that's as he was, that's true because well, he had he had a fisheye lens. I had sixty thousand feet on the Concorde, and I looked out the window, and I I thought seemed like slightly curved on the horizon. Eighty thousand, I think you see it, and it I think this parachute jumps like a hundred thousand, and I. I'm sure you could see it from there. So the so the claim is you can't, and that's what people say. And when, and when I when you go look for pictures, you can't really find pictures that aren't, uh, you know, from like ISS, you know, from the International Space Station, which they they think those are all CGI. Yeah, well, this is getting down to the fact that we can't believe anything today, which is actually kind of true. It's yeah. True. The most coherent argument I've heard against uh, is 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 when people don't say people don't fully adopt the idea of flat earther because in that idea you still have to accept things that you cannot prove. You can't personally demonstrate are true. You still have to rely on facts and evidence from third parties, and and that is that's the biggest argument against the globe Earth theory is that. You're relying on, you can't see it yourself. You can't detect it yourself. Instead, you have to rely on what experts show you. And given the fact that in the last, certainly the last five years, I think experts have been discredited, uh, flat, the flat earth idea has gotten a lot of traction because, because of the idea that all faith in institutions is going away. All these people who say, no, just trust us. This is the way it is. You know, we got, we learned this in a book. Uh, they don't buy it anymore. And I think, and I think that there's justification for that, at least not taking for granted anything that's told to you by someone else. We're often wondering, what can we really know about anything? It really becomes a philosophical problem. And of course, you know, we can start from the basics and, you know, we can say, well, in, I think it was the third century BC, I forget which was, um, I, I forget who the ancient Greek was that proved this, oh God, that, uh, you know, the sun came straight down a well in Athens and the same, and it was at an angle at exactly, and I forget how he figured it out, that the earth was round and he took a guess based on the distance that he knew between the Alexandria and, and Athens that the earth really was round A, and it was about 25,000 miles in circumference B just by doing simple, very simple trigonomic. So this, it was Pythagoras. Was it Pythagoras that figured that out? Yeah. Oh, well. Wait, just, wait, no, actually, no. Uh, he was the mathematician who believed to have first proposed the idea. However, uh, it's not until 240 BC that another Greek mathematician, Eratosthenes, Eratosthenes? Yes. Yeah, that's who did it, right. Okay, but uh, so you can go back that, but you know, I'm not sure I could prove it, even though 
some ancient Greek did it like 300 years ago. Um, how do you argue with these people? Like I had a friend in Aspen that he was a reasonably intelligent guy. We were friends. I mean, he was a decent guy. And he was convinced that, forget about the flat earth. This is a different theory. Hollow earth. Hollow oh, yeah. Earth. Where someplace in the Arctic you can enter and there's all kinds of strange things in the hollow earth. And I remember another friend of mine that I, I guess I've met some of these people, that he was uh, pretty high, reasonably high IQ, and he was very street smart, but he was uneducated. And uh, he was convinced that people lived at the same time as dinosaurs, but the dinosaurs are dead. People just like us were alive then. So I guess the public is pretty illiterate. But I don't know who the public is. I mean, because we all live with our little group. and Right. I, I mean, I think the public is generally illiterate for sure. I think that's they're generally unaware of even what's happening in their world right now, even in, I think, in unless it directly affects their daily motion. I think most people, most people are unaware that, you know, the Fed exists, you know, they're unaware of how inflation occurs. I mean, they're unaware of real basics. So these harder questions that are much more complicated to come to, I think the answers for, I think is they have no clue and they just take what's fed to them like everything else. Yeah. And if you hear it on TV or yeah, like, Further proof that there's actually, actually no hope. The uh, powers that be are going to do what they want to do, and the average person. Well, you don't want to be the oddball. That, yeah, it's. Uh, anyway, I, well, before should, we started, you you mentioned Yuri Bezdenov. Should, should, should we read the encyclopedia? I mean, should we read any books? Quite frankly, because uh, what we were talking about earlier. It's, I'm a great believer in first-hand observation. And sometimes you can't believe your own eyes, but I tend to believe my own eyes, unless I'm dealing with David Copperfield or David Blaine or one of those guys. Then you can't right. believe this. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I think that, that you mentioned before we started recording about Yuri Bezmenov, you know, the, his four-step, supposed the Soviet plan to take over the U.S., and from the inside. And it was a uh, demoralization campaign was first. I don't remember what was after that. Demoralization, which he estimates takes 20 to 30 years. And then was destabilization, which that's the stage we're in now. Everybody's completely demoralized. Don't know which way is up. Don't know. We don't know what to believe. We don't know who's on first. So now we're getting to destabilization where you have you know, riots and violence, and strange people being put in office. And he says, as I recall, that takes eh, one to two years of that kind of thing. And then you're ready for crisis where the shit hits the fan. And because everybody's demoralized that the bad guys who have been setting this up will win, and then we have stage four, normalization. Hey, this is the way things is. And they're basically always this way. So get used to it. Yeah. Well, I think the whole idea of the people are 
people that the like flat earth movement is taken on it was i mean i remember hearing about it 20 years ago and i was it's just i thought it was ridiculous on its face you know uh, when i heard it but the but it's gained tremendous popularity i would say now you'd be surprised the people you run into that yeah if they don't think it that earth is flat necessarily they're 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 a lot like i don't i don't know they're flat i don't know but I don't, but I, I'm, I call globe earth a theory now. Like I, because I don't even know if that's true myself. Cause I don't know if anything that I've been told is true is true. I just can't, unless I can independently verify it or my experience somehow tells me, or at least someone I know and trust, I get some firsthand account about something Then I don't, I don't take it for granted that it's true. So the demoralization has affected me in that way for sure. It's affected everybody. And I think. I like to believe that you and I are more rational than the average chimpanzee wandering around out there. So if it's affected us, it's affected other people even more. At least I'd like to believe that. So, uh, yeah, this trend's in motion. And Western civilization is collapsing, and other people are starting to notice it now. I read it everywhere. Oh, I've got to say I was an early observer, but... Uh, but now everybody's talking about how the West is collapsing, and it's completely obvious, and for good reason. Yes, and lots of things are obvious now, and I think this is maybe part of the, you know, this is part of the destabilization phase where, like, we, yesterday, you know, they come out with these CPI numbers, and you said forever that you can't trust their numbers uh, from the government. But yesterday, they published numbers that are so obviously fraudulent that on its face, they were debunked, you know, by every by by everyone you could find. Not on CNBC, I didn't see it on there, but I mean everywhere else, you see people debunking it. They said for their model to work, and it's all mathematical models, which are mm -hmm. all bullshit anyway, uh, and like ripe for being manipulated. But they said that for that to for that to be true, health insurance had to drop thirty four percent last month, you know, which of course it didn't. And I was on a. Zoom call with some guys the other day, and one of them brought that very point up that you mentioned. And he said that in California, where he lives, that his medical costs for his company had gone up 16% in the last year. Gee, that's kind of odds to this 34% number. And what did you say? There's a, there's a public company that you're a director of, and their costs had gone up by how much? 18%. Your health insurance. So who are you going to believe? Uh, me or your lion eyes? I'm definitely not going to believe anything that comes from mathematical models uh, <laughs> on the economy. Oh, those are always bullshit. The same models that are used to di to uh, divine our climate 100 years from now, essentially. like Or, or guide the economy of Argentina, for, for that matter. Right. And, and incidentally, we should mention not that it's going to be relevant to many people listening but um this sunday is the election between masa who's an o-line kirshnerite parentist criminal but very slick and um and uh and uh, malay. malay and at this point i don't know it's it's a guess all i know is what i hear other people that are apparently who the hell knows but uh, I think Malay's going to win. 
the the latest poll I saw from a Mexican polling firm that that accurately predicted the uh, the like, not the primary whatever the election was before this was that Millet would win. So I'm um, hopeful he will. That'd be great. Then the question is is how close to stopping everything that he wants to do will the deep state in Argentina come? And um, since he doesn't have very much power in the um, in the uh, Congress in Argentina, either the Senate or the House, um, he can't get anything done legislatively, and they'll stop him. So anyway, it'll be a disaster. Good ideas, good shot. Nothing will change, and as things get worse because he can't do anything, uh, people say, see, free market ideas, ANCAP ideas, they don't work. Let's go back to acting like Mussolini fascists, which is the model for Argentina, incidentally. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I hope, well, I hope you're wrong about it. I hope he wins, and I hope he does some things that it does. He doesn't have to do a lot to turn it around. I mean, it has, there's so much pent up potential in that country, you know, so much capital and human capital, if nothing else, all the agriculture resources they have, if you just get some things out of the way, things would improve. Yeah. And, and maybe the military in Argentina, which is not very powerful anymore, used to be powerful, but not anymore, since his vice president, um, who's a lady, I forget her name is a defender of um, saying that during the 80s, when there were supposed to be some, say, 30,000 people that were killed by the military in those days, and she's defending them and saying, no, it wasn't nearly that bad. Maybe the military will be on Malay's side, you know, just because. And yeah, who knows? I mean, there's always possibility that things might work out. Yeah, well, I know that Masa plans to implement a CBDC in Argentina. I saw a plan for that the other day. So if this is the current finance minister who is running opposed to Malay. So if he wins, uh, you can be sure things are going to get worse because yeah. he's he's the, he's the architect of the you know the 154% inflation this year. It's going to be a total disaster. It means that at least the good thing that keeps the Argentine economy going is the fact that everybody deals in black, you know, with, you know, stacks of peso notes, but it's undisclosed and untaxed. But if he's, if he tries to solve the inflation problem with Jesus, the Argentine economy really will collapse at that point. That's an excellent, that's an excellent observation on your point about the CBDCs. If he does that, then that you can't use currency anymore. And therefore, you're going to, everything will be taxed and the Argentines will really be screwed this time around. Hope it doesn't happen. Uh, no, so I it, hope it doesn't happen either. I mean, okay. I mean, I guess if it does, doesn't it, I can basically write off all the money I put into Argentina. I, I thought you did it mentally a long time ago, though. You mentally wrote it off already. I, I have mentally written it off. Yeah, but I'll be able, it'll be like, It'll be like um, two friends of mine, one of whom was Carl Hess, who used to be famous, but nobody remembers him anymore. Uh, Carl and my other friend uh, bought 
a uh, piece of land in Zimbabwe back in the 70s when it was Rhodesia. Well, yeah, you can write that off. I mean, they may have title to it, but I promise you, they're not going to be able to see. Yeah, the same thing with Argentina, so screw it. Fido, Fido, fucking drive on. Carl Hess was the uh, was the the guy who got they went after him really hard for the, the government did right, and he had to came a welder only did barter because he owed them so much money or something. Is that right? That's exactly right. And he used to live in Washington D.C. for a while and grew trout in his basement and. And Carl really became famous because he was Goldwater's speechwriter. Mm. And in the 1964 election, Carl coined the phrase that Barry Goldwater used, which was extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice, moderation is no virtue. I'm not getting his phrase right, but it was well written. And Goldwater used that. And of course, the criminals in the Johnson administration, you know, showed nuclear bombs going off and all that. We'll start right. That's the famous where we have like the, the girl p- picking like flowers in a meadow or something. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and, and of course, Bubis Americanus voted for Johnson. And what do you know? Johnson starts the Vietnam War. So. I mean, there's really no holes because people are, I think they're more stupid, more corrupt than they were back then from a political point of view. I think so too. What's the story on how the go- the government went after Carl though later? Like, do you remember what that was? No, I don't because the last time I saw him, he was living in, you know, a small, actually it was a, semi-underground house that he built himself in West Virginia. But I don't remember exactly what happened after research. Yeah, I, think, I just I just remember reading something where he had he went totally off grid, stopped using money because he couldn't have any bank accounts and he couldn't have yeah. any yeah, money. I think that's yeah, I think that's I think that's all I think that's all true. There's and so many like trade his building services. Yeah, that's right, because that's what he People asked him what he did for a living, and he was a welder, and that's what he actually did. And um, I think he first was a before or after the Goldwater thing. He became famous because uh, when Playboy magazine was a big deal, their monthly interviews, which was the justification for males buying Playboy, I forget about the pictures. I buy it for the interviews because they did great interviews with interesting people and. They did an interview with Carl where he explained libertarianism back then. And it was mm. one of their more famous interviews. So mm. but this is all fading into the mists of history at this point. It really is. It really is. All right. One last thing I thought was worth mentioning is uh, there was a, I guess, a couple of days ago, there was an incident in DC with Secret Service agents where oh. it, the apparently the, the detailed Guarding the uh, the protection detail for uh, Biden's granddaughter um, must have been out. Is that, about... one, is that the one that he used to take showers with? Uh, that was his daughter, actually. Oh, okay. But my but this might be the one you see unco- him uncomfortably cut kiss on the lips in public still. 
I don't know if you've seen those pictures of him doing this. So I have seen pictures. I, I don't know. They're always little girls or whoever. There's there's one that's definitely his granddaughter. She's older, but she's a young adult, I'd say. And she's and he when he greets her, he kisses her on the lips. It's very, I don't know, creepy. Well, yeah. Look at the bright side. At least Biden probably isn't gay. <laughs> but I, can we be sure? I don't know. Oh, we can't be sure. We. We know he's a sexual pervert, but we don't know. He prefers girls. In corners of the, the creepy world he crawls. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So apparently, I mean, maybe it was her. Maybe it was another granddaughter I'm unaware of. But uh, apparently her secret service detail came upon people breaking in to a car that was a unmarked secret service car. I, I presume it was their vehicle. Like they were returning to that vehicle, came across... Um, they say they think three individuals that were breaking into that car and one of the secret service agents opened fire on them and uh, they got away. So yeah. I find this situation very interesting for a couple of reasons. One shows how the crime is getting, cause this was in Georgetown. The crime is getting so bad that, you know, that people are breaking into secret service vehicles or attempting to. It's rather bold because if you live in around Washington, you can pretty well identify a government vehicle. Suburban, right? All windows yeah. black. I mean, yeah. So there's that, which is surprising. I mean, just shows how things are going. And then the idea that these guys seem awfully trigger happy to start, you know, in a Georgetown neighborhood, you know, which is a, there's a lot of pedestrians around there. Um, people at risk to open fire at the, at the, at the assailants or the, uh, the people attempting to break in. I was surprised by that lack of discipline. And, and also they didn't hit their targets they missed yes that's that's also an issue which sort of the best the best protecting you know our nation's important people apparently are not crack shooters yeah so the alleged uh miscreants escaped i guess yeah i guess it's been no date on it yeah so it'll be interesting to know who the miscreants were and what happens to them and I hope there's a follow-up uh, on this. And I, I wonder if the Secret Service agent or agents that you know, started launching bullets just because somebody's hanging around their parked car, uh, I wonder if they'll be reprimanded or disciplined or cautioned. I don't know what they do. Uh, certainly not fired. I mean, no, they separate. don't fire them. No, these are the, these are their secret keepers. So that's, I think they, they have to be careful with them. That's that's right. You fire a Secret Service agent, and there might be a book forthcoming with things that he's seen and heard. Exactly. So <laughs> it's like the Praetorian Guard. I mean, you know, if I was a if I was the president or a top government official, I'd be very afraid of all the things that the NSA has picked up and the FBI and the Secret Service have learned. And I wouldn't want to be too aggressive towards any of those agencies because they can strike back. Well, as uh, Chuck Schumer said, you know, the, the, don't go after the intelligence agencies. They know how to get back at you six ways from Sunday or something like that, he said publicly when referring to Trump back then. Mm. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be so interesting over the next year, at least. Yeah. Be, yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to view it all from here, though, Doug. 
from Uruguay. So get down. Well, I can't wait to get, I can't wait to get down there actually because the uh, leaves have fallen off the trees here in the uh, in the U.S. and uh, yeah, time to head south. Time to go. All right. Well, good. Thanks very much, Doug. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Matt. Thanks.